got your Bibles with you today, open with me to Philippians chapter 4. You're going to be using the uh, blue pew Bibles. It's on page 982. So I invite you to turn in them. And of course, as always, the passage is also printed in your bulletin. This morning we come to, as we often have now in Philippians and as we will even in the weeks to come, we come to another one of these really well-known and beloved passages that are found in this brief letter. I suspect that many of you already have this passage memorized uh, this morning that I'm going to be reading for us, verses 4 through 7. If, in fact, you don't have it memorized, might I suggest by way of application that that would be a really good time, uh, way to spend some of your devotional time uh, this week, lay this passage up, get it get it soaking and sitting in your hearts and minds so that it is always there for you to reflect upon and to give us direction in this world. Uh, it's a familiar passage. I am not going to try to do anything homiletically creative with this passage today. It is too sweet and too good and too clear to do anything like that with it. So we're just going to look at what this text says and I hope be encouraged on it once again. So here, this word of the Lord given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul and speaking right now to our lives, speaking to our hearts and to our souls. The word of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And now as I memorized it in the RSV, Rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice. Let all men know your forbearance, the Lord is at hand. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There is a path to peace that has been set out for us, and it's right here. Let's pray. Lord, help us to walk in it. It's plain, it's clear, it's direct, it's unambiguous. Help us to hear it. Help us to love it. Help us as your people to do it, to heed wonderfully what is said and what is encouraged, what is implored to us here by the Apostle Paul, by your spirit, by you yourself speaking through him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you struggle to be joyful? Do you struggle sometimes to be content? Do you struggle with the idea of peace or being peaceful in this world? Those are slightly different things, uh, joy and peace and contentment. And yet they are related together, and they're related together not only in the text that we're looking at today, but really in all of this chapter here, all of chapter 4. 
Are you troubled? Are you disturbed? Is there, is there some restlessness that is going on in your soul? Is there dissatisfaction which exists in your life? A dear brother, one whom I love deeply, not one of you, um, not that I don't love you, but just not. <laughs> a dear brother came to me uh, recently and just said, I, I struggle with joy. I struggle with being joyful. I struggle with finding contentment in this world. And because I love this brother, it broke my heart. Broke my heart to hear it. I understood it, but it broke my heart. The Philippians struggled too. We've seen it throughout this book. There was persecution and pressure. There was the concern and the worry that they had about Paul and about Epaphroditus who had gotten sick as he was traveling to Paul. There was false teaching, if not in the church already, at least on the horizon of the church. And especially as we, well, we've seen it throughout, but especially as we saw last week, there was disunity amongst prominent members of the church in Philippi. And it was impacting their hearts and their minds and I know this is a plain way of speaking, but I think we can say it this way. It was impacting the mood of the church. What kind of mood they were in as a church had changed. And Paul, through Epaphroditus, maybe through others as well who had come along, had gotten a sense that the mood in Philippi had changed. I imagine, and of course Paul couldn't see their face, the distance between them, but I imagine if he could have seen their faces, if he could have looked at their countenances, he would have seen the change. He would have seen the way that the joy had kind of not only drained out of their hearts and minds, but the way it had kind of drained off of your face as well. If he could have looked them in the eye, he could have looked at them and said, something's going on here. Something." Something has taken place that is beginning to take the joy out of your life. Now, this section that is here and that is before us today, Paul doesn't say, well, just smile. Just smile and be happy about things. Instead, he goes right to the heart, right to the mind, and right to heart, mind, and practices of the Christian life and he lays out for them, he articulates for them a pathway, a pathway to peace that includes joy in the Lord as well. The section that uh, we're looking at today that I've just read for us ends with this incredible promise of the peace of God, that the peace of God will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this one ends with a promise of the peace of God. Next week we're going to look at the just the two verses that follow this, eight and nine, and that ends with the promise of the God of peace. So this one ends with the promise of the peace of God, that one with the God of peace, and then as we continue on through the rest of this chapter, we'll see still Paul trying to work through issues of contentment and issues of peace and issues of joy with them, even though they've got these things that are going on in their lives. Now, Again, I said, we're going to keep this simple today. This path of peace that Paul sets out for them has four 
very clear trail markers that are put out and put before the congregation. There are four imperatives, four commands that Paul gives to the church. And what he's doing here and the way he does this is a way that he does it uh, often in his letters, not only Paul, but other writers of the day and other biblical writers as well. He's coming to the end of the letter and he's going to exhort them in these short, cropped, simplified kind of phrases that we find in the text that is before us today. And it's a, it's a way I think we can think of it as Paul saying, listen, in the future, you may not remember all of the things, all of the words that I wrote in the book of Philippians. And that's true for us as well. Maybe you won't remember all of the details of all the things that we've looked at over the past couple of months. But Paul says, listen, if you get lost in all the details, you have to remember these things. And here they are, boom, 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 get them. And he makes them very short so that they're very memorable and so that they're very applicable for us. We can lay hold of them and we can do that. So don't get lost in the woods. Don't get lost in all of the words. Hear these things. Think about it this way. You know how many songs you sing? I don't know if you listen to uh, radio or not, but there's a lot of songs that we sing uh, that we actually, if we stopped and thought about it, we actually don't know the words to them. We're singing along as if we knew the words, but we actually don't know the words. And if somebody turned it down real quickly, they'd hear we go, and we don't know. But you know what we know? We know the chorus. We know the chorus to songs. Now, the song might be richer and more meaningful. It actually might mean something completely different than we thought it meant if we actually knew the words, but we, but we know the chorus. And that's the idea, I think, that we can think about when we're looking at this passage here today. If you forget everything else, learn these things because these are the main things that he is trying to communicate to us. So what do we got here? We got four of these commands, four imperatives, and they're not hard to find. The first one is this, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Gordon Fee writes it this way, joy, unmitigated, untrammeled, which is to say unrestricted joy, is, or at least should be, the distinctive mark of the believer in Christ Jesus. Paul, and this is still fee writing, Paul, the theologian of grace, is equally the theologian of joy. So those two things go together for Paul. If he is the theologian of grace, if he is the one who's going to teach us about the good news of Jesus Christ, it is inseparably connected to joy, to joy felt, to joy expressed. And so throughout this letter, and this is as good a point as any for us to remember it once again, although he's going to reference it here uh, in chapter four later, the prisoner the prisoner, the guy in chains, has testified to the church of his own joy. That's what he's trying to make clear to them. These chains cannot stifle the joy that is ours. And therefore, he says, all that I can do, I implore you to be persuaded, my friends, to be joyful as well. 
I want you to experience what I'm experiencing. And of course, there are two modifiers that are provided in this. The, the first one is given, we've heard it before, and it is this, rejoice in the Lord. Last week we saw it, right? Last week we saw it in the commands that were there, stand firm in the Lord, agree, be of the same mind in the Lord, and now rejoice in the Lord. And it's, as I said last week, no throwaway phrase. It's not, you just, you don't say that just because, well, that sounds nice to say in the Lord, but for Paul, what he's saying is that Jesus has done it. Jesus has accomplished our redemption. He's accomplished our salvation. He has taken the sins and nailed them to the cross. We bear it no more. Jesus has secured our life in himself. Our hope is secured. Your life is hid with Christ in God. You have been bought with a price, with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Our future resurrection of these decaying bodies, our future glorification in the presence of the Lord is as sure as the already resurrection of Jesus Christ and the already glorification of Jesus Christ that has taken place. And therefore, Paul says, listen, we're not in heaven yet, right? That's what he said up here. We're waiting. We've got a heavenly citizenship and we're waiting for him return. We're not in heaven yet, but let the celebration commence. Let it commence now because you know what's taking place. You know what he has done and you know what he has promised. And so let's get started with the celebrating in the Lord. Second modifier is, is always. In the Lord and rejoice always. For Paul, not only here, but in other places, circumstances are real. And they're sometimes excruciatingly sad and incredibly painful, but they cannot shake what Jesus has accomplished. The Philippians are going through some difficult things at that stage in the life of their church, and they needed to hear this, and we need to hear it as well. Rejoice in the Lord always. Be a tree firmly rooted. When the wind blows of circumstances that are difficult in our lives, indeed, there's going to be movement in that tree. You'll, you'll, you'll see, you'll hear the wind going through the leaves, you'll see the sway of the tree. But Paul's idea here is be firmly rooted and grounded because there's something that doesn't move. You are attached, and this is more so than any tree analogy could do, you are attached to something that is unshakable, something that can't be moved. And that's why we can rejoice in the Lord always, even if the swaying is going on over the top of us for some particular reason. Paul wants them to know about this. Paul wants to say to the Philippians, listen, don't think of joy as something that is utterly and completely and only circumstantially dependent. What he is saying to them is there are circumstances, but 
there is also a circumstance transcending joy. A hallmark, first of Jewish spirituality and then of Christian spirituality. And so hear it in, in, in the words of the prophet Habakkuk. These are words that are known to us well. But hear it in the Jewish flavor. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. You want it in more contemporary language? Though the Grinch take everything, though he take every toy and every ornament, and every decoration, the prophet continues, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Though it all goes barren, though nothing bears any fruit, though every circumstance go bad, go south against me, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. So rejoice, Paul says. Second thing that he says, verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Reasonableness. Reasonableness is a little bit, I just want to say, it, it's to me a little bit of an odd translation at this point. The version that I gave you before of the RSV says, let your forbearance be known to everyone. And if you look at the word and you look at the context in other places, maybe other ideas would be there as well. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Let your patience be known to everyone. Let your long-suffering be known to everyone. That's the idea here that Paul is getting at. A way to think of this command is what Paul is exhorting is the opposite of being retaliatory. So, so think for a moment of what retaliation would look like for whatever it might be, an offense, and Paul's exhorting the opposite of that. Don't be retaliatory. Do let your gentleness be known to everyone. The work that Jesus has done, the presence of Jesus now, the coming of Jesus, that for Paul is all encapsulated in this phrase, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. The fact of what Jesus has done, the fact of his presence, and the fact of his coming, that yields for the believer in Jesus Christ gentleness, patience, and forbearance, a gentle confidence. And the idea here that Paul has is that's not only an internal thing. Paul's not only talking about a gentleness that is internal, but instead it is external, it is outward. What he's saying is, let that be known to all. This should be visible. Your gentleness as a result of the gospel should be a thing that is visible to all people because of what Jesus has done. This is the same idea that is contained in Psalm 37 that we read earlier. It puts it this way, the meek shall inherit the earth. The meek, the gentle in spirit, the, those who forbear, they shall inherit the land. Why? 
because in just a little while, looking now the way Paul does, the Lord is at hand, the future is already come into the present, the wicked will be no more. In a little while, the wicked will be no more. And so what the psalmist writes, so refrain from anger, forsake wrath. Why can you be that way? Because the Lord is at hand. And that's the example that he has. He will take care of those things. Let your gentleness be known to all. Third, on the path of peace. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. How sweet is that command? How sweet is a command from the Lord himself that says, don't be anxious about anything. How hard is this command? Lord, help us. Help us to obey this. We are awaiting a Savior who will subject all things to himself, who reigns even now in heaven. And so what it speaks to us is, oh, my soul, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Paul here is continuing. I'm referencing this a couple of times. Uh, it'll come together next week as well. Paul is continuing for them, these Gentile Christians whom he describes as the circumcision, a lesson in Jewish spirituality. You want to hear what do not be anxious about anything sounds like in the Old Testament? You know what it sounded like? It sounded like this. Fret not. Psalm 37. Fret not. Don't be afraid. And Paul here is, of course, not only channeling the river of the Old Testament promises and trust and the providential care and rule of Yahweh. He's also, of course, using, even quoting, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now, there are plenty of people on earth who have perhaps at various times tried to comfort us and said to us, don't be anxious. Don't worry about this. But when the Lord of glory, who created everything, who rules over everything, who nothing happens apart from his will in this world, when that Lord says to you, do not be anxious, that's a different deal. He's in control of all. Do not be anxious is what he says, which of course is this incredibly heartening command. We all love to hear the words, do not be anxious, but for all of us, and Paul anticipates it, the question quickly becomes, how, how is that possible? I know how to be anxious. I do not know so well how not to be anxious, which takes us to the fourth imperative that is also in verse 6. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We already sang it this morning. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. 
all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You want it in the Psalm 37 language? In the Psalm 37 language, it's take the desires of your heart to God in prayer. Or again, in Psalm 37 language, commit your way to the Lord. Lay it before God. We can sometimes make the mistake of assuming that things in here, things like joy and gentleness and peace and anxiety, thankfulness, we can make the assumption that these kind of things are outside of our control, that there's nothing that I can really do about them. Circumstances dictate them. Maybe my mood dictates them. Maybe my nature dictates them. I am by nature either a cheerful or not type of person. Maybe our nurture has dictated them. And then we baptize, we spiritualize our passivity by saying, after all, Eric, these are gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? A lot of these sound like gifts of the Holy Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. These things come from the Holy Spirit. And indeed, that's true. But neither Jesus nor Paul say, okay, well then just take a passive approach, just though go ahead and wait for it. Instead, they set out a path for us and they command us to walk. Instead of fretting, Instead of being anxious, it is truly this simple, we should pray with thankfulness. Your thinkers, is your mind creating an objection to that right now? Is your mind going somewhere, wait, 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 wait. Can it be that simple? Yes, yes, gloriously and wondrously so, it can be this simple. In verse 5, I noted that we saw this kind of outwardly directed spiritual joy that looks like gentleness. Let your gentleness, let your forbearance be known to all. Well, Paul's taking the same approach here. He's just turning it the other way. Let it be known, you know, let that be known to everybody else. Here he's saying, let your requests be made known to God. There's no need for us uh, in this to distinguish between what's a prayer and what's a supplication, uh, what's a request. There's no need here. The idea is simple and it is clear. Let God know it all. Don't try to keep it bottled up inside. Do not think about things and not pray about things because you know what what that will produce in your life, right? We got anxiety. What that will produce in our lives is anxiety. Pray. Take it to the Lord in prayer. To our Father who already knows it all. And as Gordon Fee once again says, you take it to the Lord and it puts us in our proper perspective when all that we take to the Lord is in this atmosphere of thankfulness because that's the proper posture for us before the Lord with whatever we're taking before him.
So those are the four imperatives and they yield this stunning result that we see in verse seven. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In Jesus, shalom has become accessible. In the future, yes. When he returns, yes. And now. And now. In Jesus. An inner contentment, the satisfaction, the delight of knowing God, something that surpasses understanding, something that a preacher can't make make sense because it surpasses understanding. It is something that the Spirit of God is at work doing in our lives as he attaches us to Christ, and it is a sweetness which words can't explain. And you certainly can't explain it to the world. They can't make it make sense. They can't make sense of joy when the fig tree doesn't blossom, when the olives don't yield any olive oil production that comes from them. That doesn't make sense. Paul says, got it. It surpasses understanding. It surpasses what we can add up in our lives. That peace, the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. Imagine for a moment this idea, the picture that is being drawn here. Imagine the peace of God incarnate, which is actually not really hard to imagine, right? Imagine the peace of God incarnate stationed right next to you, outside of your heart and your mind, guarding your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Because what's going to happen as soon as we attempt to do this, as soon as we approach this, is the darts are going to be shot at us and the darts are going to sound like this. But what about this? What about, what about the future? What, what about tomorrow? What if these are the darts that are going to come flying at us? But Paul's saying here, stationed, stationed at your heart, stationed in front of your mind is a guard. And the guard is the peace of God incarnate, stationed to protect your heart and mind from those very attacks. Sometimes we get stuck in our own heads. We get stuck in our thoughts and they consume us and they worry us and they swarm us and they threaten to or they nibble at the peace of God, which is ours in Christ Jesus. They eat away at joy, and they eat away at contentment. In those times, my friends, do not surrender. Give that no quarter. Give it no rest. You may not remember all of the details of the book of Philippians. You may lose names along the way. You may forget certain of the circumstantial things. 
but remember the chorus and then do it. A path for the peacefulness, for the joy, for the contentment of your heart is laid out. Don't despise, don't reject, and don't neglect it because of its simplicity. There's a danger of that, oh well-educated congregation. But you might go, it's more complex than this, isn't it? And yet there are more words than a chorus. There are more words than a chorus. But embrace this for its clarity. Put it in the Old Testament language and then once more in the New Testament language. The Old Testament language from the front of your bulletin. Isaiah 26, 3. Thou wilt keep, which is thou wilt guard. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let all men know your forbearance. The Lord is at hand. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the upshot of it all, the peace of God will guard, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, we need you. We need you to guard our hearts and our minds. We need your spirit at work in our lives to bring to our remembrance these words. And we need you to strengthen our wills so that we hear them and we seek to obey them joyfully and wonderfully in our lives. We ask this, Jesus, in your name. You are the Prince of Peace. Amen.